Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. Uh, never before in human history. In fact, your, your parents, no matter how old uh, you are, your parents were not as able to keep track of their high school classmates as you are. You likely see pictures and videos of your high school classmates' kids or grandkids. Even the high school classmates that you weren't that close to and had one math class with your sophomore year, right? Never before in human history were we able to really expect in any way to be able to get a hold of somebody anytime for any reason. Cell phones, social media, worldwide networks, we have never been more connected. And yet, a 2019 study by Cigna Health, if you can't remember as far back as 2019, that's the last year before COVID, okay? So it's like <laughs> way back there somewhere. Uh, 2019 study by Cigna Health found that eight out of 10 people in Generation Z, which is born in 1997 or later, give or take, eight out of 10 people in Gen Z reported feeling lonely. Seven out of 10 millennials, six out of 10 Gen X, five out of 10 baby boomers. Couple of things we might extrapolate from that information. Best case, each generation, at least half of the people are feeling lonely. And if we assume that the younger the generation, the more connected they are to their devices and technology and media, it appears that the more connected we are, the more lonely we feel. This is not just a young person issue. Again, five out of 10 baby boomers. And in the UK, they're seeing such a rise in people over 50 who are reporting feeling lonely, those numbers are on such a trajectory that they believe that by the year 2026, just three years from now, they will have seen a 50% increase in people over 50 reporting regular loneliness in a 10-year period. From 2016 to 2026, that number will go up 50%. What if the greatest gift the church could give the world today is real connection, is real connection. And Tech Booth, I forgot my little clicker, so I'm gonna ask you to sub in for me today. What if the greatest gift the church could give the world today is real connection? Now, before somebody pulls on that too hard or, or stops listening, uh, I do not mean that our connection or community is more important than Jesus. That's not what I'm trying to say. Uh, ultimately, the gift that we all need and the gift that those of us following Jesus carry around with us is the love and grace and life found in Jesus. What I'm saying is that for centuries, the church has been trying to give something to the world around us. It's been different things in different ways, different eras and places. But through the centuries, 
the church has tried to give the world morality or a sense of security, maybe power, more recently a a nice show with lights and fog machines, some sort of spiritual high, maybe on our best days, some sense of higher purpose. What if, what if when Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by how you love one another? What if that wasn't just an ideal identity, but was actually a gift the world today is in desperate need of? So how do we create an ecosystem for that kind of connection? How do we create places and spaces where real connection happens? How do we be a people of connection? Last week, we talked about the way the early church in Philippi was instructed to create community. And you can read uh, the letter to them in the New Testament. It's Philippians chapter 2 is what we went over. And in that passage, they're instructed to have the same attitude as Christ, to not grasp for more for themselves, but to want more for others, to be humble and loving rather than complaining and arguing, and in that way to be a bright light in a dark world. Uh, This week, I want to look at the instructions to two other early church communities, And look at what it might teach us about both our church and our homes. And just to pull on one more string from last week, when I'm talking about church, when I use the word church today, we talked about this last week, that there's four different definitions of church. Uh, I'm not talking about an organization, a building, or an activity. talking about people, us, that we are the church. So let's look at these communities. The first is the early church community in Thessalonica. Uh, And you can read in Acts chapter 17 uh, about Paul and Silas planting this church and the chaos that they went through. After they got kicked out of Thessalonica, uh, they moved on to planting other churches. But Paul would write back to the Thessalonian people letters of, of teaching and encouragement. And at the end of uh, one of those uh, letters that we have preserved for us in the New Testament that we have creatively called First Thessalonians, uh, at the end of First Thessalonians, he sort of gives a uh, shotgun blast. It's, there's got to be a better analogy than that, sorry. But a shotgun blast of teachings, little peppered teachings on how to be a community of people. He assumes that they're going to do life together, and so he wants them to do it well. So he gives some instructions and teachings for that. So let's look at those teachings. And there's uh, kind of a lot here. So uh, let's try to sort it out into uh, some helpful reminders uh, and, and teachings for us. So first verse we're going to look at is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Okay, I'm actually going to stop there because, frankly, I'm already uncomfortable. Because this, um, maybe because that applies to me more than I would like it to, but also... 
Because this, uh, this sounds like uh, confrontation, accusation, hard conversations. And some of you are like, oh, bring it on. Bring me the lazy people and I will tell them what's what. And I love you. And I'm so glad you're here. And I don't mean that sarcastically at all. I'm really glad you're here because I need somebody else to have those conversations for me. Uh, but just kidding. I need to have them too. But I'm really glad that you enjoy them. And that's good. Um, other translations of uh, this sentence, uh, where instead of warn the lazy, say to uh, correct, I want to make sure it gets right, correct the unruly, correct the unruly, which at first glance, uh, to me at least, seems very different, but it's not actually once we dig into it. The, the Greek word there uh, is, uh, means slack, like on a rope that's supposed to be taut, it, that it's slacked. Uh, it, it means someone who is uh, unkempt, just not, not buttoned up, uh, or, or a, a shelf that is not quite all buttoned up and, and put together. So, correct those who are out of order, who are slacking, who are uh, not putting in the effort to be a productive part of the community. So it's still a hard conversation. I just want to clarify that it's not an accusation, that it really is a meaningful correction to say, hey, we want more for you and more for the community than, than what you're doing right now and what you're experiencing. Okay, that makes me feel a little bad about it. Okay, I'm going to try this again. I promise I'm not going to stop in, in the middle of the verse this time. Verse 14, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy to encourage those who are timid, to take tender care of those who are weak, and to be patient with everyone. Okay, so let's uh, stop here uh, and, and make a, a list. What is Paul teaching the, uh, the Thessalonians? Let's throw that list up there. Uh, four things, to correct, to encourage, to serve, and to be patient. To correct, encourage, serve, and be patient. This is a community where hard conversations happen because we want more for that person. It's a community where we intentionally encourage those needing boldness or confidence. And a side note, but an important one, encourage does not mean make feel better. Encourage means to put courage into someone, to put courage into them for whatever it is that they are facing in front of them. Can you imagine a community of people where when you look ahead at the week or season in front of you, and it does something funny in the pit of your stomach, and you feel like, I just can't face what's coming. I can't walk through this thing that I'm being asked to walk through. That you could go to this community of people and they would put courage into you for whatever it is that is in front of you, for whatever it is that God is going to walk through with you. How much would you want to be a part of that kind of community? So we're correcting we're encouraging, we're serving because we want to build up and love each other. And then we're patient with each other 
Because uh, growth as humans, growth in our character and personalities and ability to engage in community is not linear and it is not quick. And we will be, like all communities of people, some messy combination of shortcomings and becomings and successes. It's one of the hardest parts, I think, of being part of community. That creating good community takes time. Time and the hard work of sticking with someone over time. But if, if we're able to be this community, we're able to provide an honest and loving and gracious community for people to connect to and be connected within. What a, what a gift this would be to each other and to the people around us. However, I think that talking about this as uh, just a church community would be too narrow of a definition of what community we can create. Uh, so I want to talk to all the parents uh, for a minute or, or future parents. If you've ever wondered, what am I doing you're not alone. I think every parent has wondered, what am I doing? <laughs> if you've ever wondered, what am I supposed to be doing? Because this little munchkin did not come with a job description or a manual, and I don't know how this is supposed to work. You are also not alone. I, I think this list would actually be a pretty good place to start for a parent's job description. Now, I do want to acknowledge that I'm taking this out of context. Paul did not write this to parents. When he writes to parents, he says, I'm writing this to parents. But at least a starter for a job description of parenting, of pouring into your kids or grandkids, I think this is a good place to start. We correct. We, we don't have to like it. It's, it's the least fun part of the job, but it is just plain necessary. We correct the, behave, the way they behave or, or talk or treat other people because we want more for them. We want them at some point to be able to engage in relationships and community that is healthy for them and they're healthy for the community. And so we want them to act and speak and serve in a way that builds healthy relationships in their life. Now, the older kids get, the harder it is to correct them. I won't listen to a correction from my dad today the same way I would have 30 years ago. It just changes. And while my oldest is 13, so I don't know where this road really goes from here, it seems to me that the rest of this list, for sure, is doable with kids of any age, even if your kids are retirement age. We can encourage. When they're little, we encourage them. We give them courage to step on stage for that first day of school, to have that hard conversation with a friend, 
as they get a little older, we give them courage for the drive test or prom or to move away, to pop the question, to take the dream job, and maybe even for being parents themselves. We serve them at any age. Now, when our kids are growing up, do, do they need to learn some, some skills and responsibilities themselves? Absolutely. We don't want to do everything for them, but it is actually serving them to give them some skills and responsibilities that they will need to be able to live out later. I think sometimes when we give our kids skills and responsibilities, they think it is that we want them to serve us. And while it may be nice to not have to do the laundry or the dishes or whatever it is, if that's the attitude we take toward it, we are now not encouraging or serving or building them up. We want more for them. So we don't do everything for them, but making everything that we do as much as we can be about serving them well. And then the hardest one, in my estimation, we're patient with them. They're growing and they're learning no matter how old your kids are. Uh, your two-year-old isn't actually trying to make your life miserable. Your 12-year-old some days maybe is, but <laughs> most of the time, your 12-year-old is going to waffle between acting like a two-year-old and a 22-year-old, and whether you like either extreme or not, encourage them anyway. Your 19-year-old is going to be convinced that they have all the answers to life's problems. Encourage them. Give them courage anyway. Your 39-year-old is likely not everything you hoped they would be. Serve them anyway. And be patient with them. They are still growing and learning just like you are. Correct, encourage, serve, be patient. What if the greatest gift a parent could give their child is real connection? It's real connection. What if you could create the kind of environment where your kids can feel loved and cared for and connected, no matter how old they are or how far away? What if the community you create in your home spills over into your neighborhood, into your kids' relationships, even your grandkids and generations to come? It is not too late to start, no matter how old your kids may be. For those of us with kids at home or grandkids around a lot or nieces and nephews that you spend a lot of time pouring into, I think it is always helpful to ask the question, who do I want these kids, this kid, to become? What are we aiming for here? It's called parenting with the end in mind. <laughs> And the idea is that as we correct and redirect our kids, we want to know what we are directing them toward. What are we hoping 
that they grow up to be. Because the truth is, some days, with some kids, maybe a lot of days, you're just trying to get through the day. And that's okay. But somewhere in the midst of getting through day after day, we have to know where are we trying to lead them. Because even when they're 13 and they think they're leading us, we are still leading them somewhere. We are still directing in some way. We still have hopes and dreams for who they become. So let's identify them, let's name them, let's aim for them. Okay. Let's keep looking at the Thessalonian community here and the instructions that Paul, again, is giving them about how they become this community a healthy, God-honoring community. So very next verse, verse 15. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Okay, so... I would sum up these instructions this way. You might put slightly different words on it, but essentially, Paul is teaching them these four things here. Do good, choose joy, pray continually, and be thankful. Do good, choose joy, pray continually, be thankful. (coughs) If you have kids in your life, let's say 25 and under, just to pick a number, that you love and care about. Can you close your eyes and imagine that this is the adults they become? That they would be people who do good, who choose joy, who talk to Jesus all the time, and who practice thankfulness and gratitude for our kids, our grandkids, our nieces and nephews. If you've never wondered, what are we aiming for here? And you've got kids that you're pouring into, you you should. It's a worthwhile and important question to ask. If you have asked that question and not known the answer, this could be a really good list to start with. If you've got a better idea, you've asked the question, you know what you're aiming for, that's fine. Just aim for it on purpose, okay? As you pray for your kids and grandkids, as we as a church pray for the children, the babies, the youth in our congregation, in our church community, can we pray this for them? that whatever drama and trauma they're going through in the moment, because there will be lots of drama and trauma to work through, that in the midst of all of that, we would pray that this is who they are becoming. People who do good and choose joy, who talk to Jesus and practice gratitude and thankfulness. Let's uh, put all of these instructions to the Thessalonians uh, up together here. These few verses, uh, 
Like I said, there's a lot here to correct and encourage, to serve patiently, to do good with joy, to pray continually with joy and thanksgiving. This kind of community creates real connection. This kind of community is a gift to the world around us. This kind of community is a gift to each other. And this kind of community is a gift to the next generation, giving them soil to grow in. Whatever generation is coming up immediately behind you, stepping in your footsteps, this gives soil for us to grow. And this may be a lofty list, but it's achievable or at least aimable. I meant to come up with a better word than that. I don't have one, but aimable. We, we can aim for this, right? This, this is a list that we can go after. This is a community that you can aim to create in your home. And from your home, spill over into your neighborhood and the world around you. This kind of community can be your gift to your family, your neighbors, even to yourself. I want to look at one more set of community instructions and and how that plays out in our church community and in our homes and relationships. And Uh, The letter we're going to be looking at is uh, the letter to the Hebrews in the middle of the New Testament there. And it's a letter written to uh, early Jewish Christians. So they are Jewish by by birth and heritage, upbringing, uh, and they have decided that they are going to follow Jesus with their lives. And they are now scattered all over the, the known world to them, at least, not because they moved around for work, but because of the persecution that they were facing to Jewish people and then doubly to Christians. And so they have been scattered, uprooted from everything they knew, running literally for their lives, trying to figure out how they follow Jesus. Is it worth it to try to follow Jesus if this is what it looks like? And how do we, a very communal people, continue to live in that way when we are scattered all over the place. And so this letter is written to them intending to affirm that Christ is the answer in their crisis, to encourage them to persevere and keep going and and to remind them of the hope that they have in Jesus. So as part of that uh, encouragement to uh, keep going together, even from their scattered places, this is Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 23. And some of this may sound familiar. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. 
Uh, this is a passage that has been preached a lot through the centuries. Uh, really, just a couple of phrases that we really liked to uh, uh, hone in on. Uh, we, we really like the, the hold on to hope part. Uh, and lots of pastors have liked preaching the don't neglect getting together parts. Whatever reasons that might be, depending on how cynical you're feeling this morning. Okay? The problem with emphasizing the don't part, don't neglect, don't lose hope, is that it has diminished and in, in some ways completely overshadowed the do parts. In, in other words, the, the why. Why are we a community that gathers together? Why do we follow these instructions? So here's the list. The, the community traits that these scattered believers are uh, instructed to maintain. That they would hold hope. They create love and good works. That they would motivate it in each other. That they would stir it up in their community. That they would gather together and they would encourage. There's, uh, there's that word again, encourage that they would put courage into one another, no matter the circumstances they're facing. And their circumstances are hard. They've lost everything they've known. They're on the run. They're scared. They're trying to settle into new communities that are unfamiliar, learn new cultures. That they would put courage into each other to face what's in front of them. We enter into community to build up courage and hope and acts of love. I know when my circumstances uh, get hard, when, when my plans fall apart, when my faith is flat, I lose hope and courage very quickly. And I need, and I believe we all need, people who will remind us of our hope. People who will hold on to hope with us, people who will turn our gaze toward Jesus, because when we lose hope, we are staring despair in the face. And a lot of you, if not all of you, have been there, where we're staring at despair, and especially when we know that we're supposed to be people of hope. I follow Jesus. I'm supposed to have hope today, and I don't feel any of it, and I'm just staring at despair, and I don't know what to do, and despair has this amazing way of doubling down on despair, <laughs> where you've locked eyes on despair, and it just seems to overwhelm you. We need people who will come alongside us and say, hey, I, I need you to turn and look at Jesus, because whatever disappointment you see in the eyes of despair does not exist in the eyes of Jesus. Whatever self-loathing you see reflected in your despair is not reflected in the eyes of Jesus. We need people who will turn our attention and remind us of the hope we have in Christ. We also need people who will confront head-on our desire for, a, for revenge, our desire to justify, our desire to wallow in our circumstances and self-pity. People who will remind us to love and serve 
and to be the best version of who God is making us to be. You need people who will look you in the eye and tell you that they believe in the good you can do and be a part of. We all need people who will come around us and do good works with us and support us in those efforts. We need people who will give us the courage to keep after it, to hold on to hope, to show up with good works in in bad times. And so we keep gathering in any form possible to build up and to be built up, to come from our scattered everyday places and create a community of love and good works, of hope and encouragement. So now I want to take a couple moments to talk to all the married people or the married one day people. I don't mean married for one day. That's not what I meant. I mean, you may be, where, you may be married one day in the future. That's it. Okay. English is funny. So, uh, there is this uh, trend you may or may not be aware of on social media, uh, marriage goals, right? I don't know if it's a trend. That's maybe a little strong. Uh, There are people who will post it. It seems to me that it is often about working out together or pranking each other. And I'm not quite sure why those two rise to the top of our marriage goals, but they do on social media. And if you want to do those things, by all means, if that is good for your marriage, please, please do that. That that is fantastic. But if, if you want a marriage that will be a gift to your kids, to your grandkids, to your neighborhood, to your church. I'd like to suggest this list as a good goals list to lean into. That we would hold on to hope together. There's something about hope that is easier to hold on to with more than two hands. that when we're facing despair, others would come alongside us and hold it with us. I wouldn't have worded it this way before this week. But, and and going through this, this passage, but I believe that most people walk away from marriage, right or wrong, because they either lose hope or misplace their hope. For some, that's actually really healthy, that they give up the delusional hope that their spouse will stop abusing or cheating. For others, it's a misplaced hope. They put their hope in good feelings instead of a good life. They put their hope in a fantasy instead of faithful love and all of its echoes and repercussions. They put their hope in some other person instead of in the growth, the exponential growth that only comes from faithful dedication to someone or something. Marriages that last, 
Marriages that bless generations and communities hold on to hope. So in your marriage, hold on to hope together that there is a savior of the world and your spouse is not that person. Release each other from the pressure to be everything in your life that God wants and can be. Hold on to the hope that on the other side of this fight, this unpaid bill, this parenting nightmare, there is a marriage worth fighting for. Hold on to the hope together that what God has brought together is not so easily torn apart. The hope that God is, in fact, at work in you and in them to make something good and beautiful, a, a gift for those you love. Hold on to hope. Create love and good works in each other. Now, I do want to say here, and maybe I should have said it earlier, that I am very aware uh, and hopefully you are too, that you cannot control what the other person in your marriage does, nor should you try. And this list is significantly easier to go after and attain in some measure in a marriage when both people want to love the other one. I, I get that. But I also know that marriages spiral when both people take a stance of, well, if I don't feel loved, I won't love you. So in as much as it is up to you, do what you can to stir up, to, to motivate, which is, by the way, very different than demand, to stir up and motivate love and good works in the other to stir up a feeling of love in them that draws out love and good works. Maybe even go and do good works together, good works of love in your family, in your community, and see what that stirs up in you and in others. And then make sure that you are gathering together, that you're getting together in some way date nights, nightly dinners, prayer times, whatever it may be for you. Don't neglect the gathering together as some people do. Make it a priority to be physically and mentally present with each other. Even when hope is hard and love is not stirred up. Maybe especially when hope is hard and love is definitely not stirred up. Make it a priority to gather together and build up courage in one another. Believe in your spouse. Fight alongside them through the doubts, through the overwhelming circumstances, through the losses and the grief. Be the one who tells them that you believe in the good that they can do. Create a marriage in as much as it is up to you 
of real connection. Because that kind of marriage is a gift to your family, to your community, to you and your spouse. Now, whether we create this kind of community in our homes or in our church, we are creating a community of love and good works. Your home, no matter your marital status, your family situation, your home can be a place of hope and encouragement for kids, grandkids, neighbors, friends. And our church, when we gather together from our scattered places, can be a place of encouragement and hope, love and connection in a world that is desperately in need of all of that. I do want to acknowledge one more significant truth. So if your uh, eyes glazed over when I said the word marriage, come on back. One last point. This type of community that we've been talking about this morning, one like the Thessalonian community or the Hebrews community, takes patient, preserving, not preserving, persevering work, patient, persevering work. And if you find yourself at all allergic to patience, perseverance, or work, or all of the above, it becomes really easy to decide that you're going to wait for somebody else to create this kind of community in your life. And then once we feel the safety of that connection and that community, then, then we can enter into serving and encouraging and doing good for others. Now, this may be most obvious in the home and neighborhood, but it is just as true in the church community too. Be the community you want to be connected to. Be the community that you want to be connected to. Parents, you can't wait for your kids, even your grown kids, to create this community. If you are a middle schooler or older, at least you can do your part to create this community in your home. If you go to school every day, you can do your part to create this community in your school, in any group you're a part of, your bunko group, your stamp club, your workplace, your retirement home, your family reunion. Be the community you want to be connected to. This is your gift to your kids, your parents, your neighborhood, your classmates, your barista, your coworkers. This is your gift to your church. As you look around this room, this is what we give to each other, this kind of community. What if the greatest gift that you can give the people you love is real connection. Real connection. Let's pray for that, okay, as we go forward and in this moment as the worship team comes up. Father God,
Would you create this kind of community in us? Would you create this kind of community in our homes? Would you grow our ability to correct and be patient, to serve and do good? Would you make us a people who put courage into each other and remind each other the hope we have in you? Father, we have this potential gift that you are are calling us to, that you're, you're stirring up in us. Would you give us the opportunity the courage to share that community with others, to take that kind of connection to people who are in need of it. Father, we know that ultimately we need to be connected to you. And you have said that as we connect to you, you connect us to each other, that we're connected by your spirit moving in and among us. Father, would your spirit move not only in this place as we gather, but as we go in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, and everywhere we go. Would your spirit be creating opportunities, places, moments of real connection where people find some measure through us of your love for them and that they would find, ultimately, the fullness of your love for them. Father, would you you build this community in Callis County, in our neighborhoods? Would it start with us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.